When I was a sophomore in high school, my older brother Ed had the grand idea to buy a snake. Not just any old snake, but a boa constrictor. So using high school logic, he waited until my dad was out of town on a trip. And while he was out of town, we went down to the mall, down to the pet store. Remember when malls used to have pet stores and music stores and you could go hang out? Young people, that's what we did for fun when we were little, okay? So we went down to the pet store. He went down there, excuse me, I didn't. He went down, got the boa constrictor and brought the snake back into our house. Now, this was during the whole urban cowboy kind of kicker phase in the late 70s. So we had a cowboy hat box in his room. So he deconstructed the cowboy hat, pasted the cardboard outside of the box of the hat on the aquarium, put the boa constrictor, brilliant, right? The boa constrictor inside of the hat box and put it on top of the Chester drawers. So my dad was out of town. I think he was out of town for like two weeks. And so on Wednesday nights, we would meet for youth group. And so my brother Ed had another great idea. Hey, let's bring the snake to youth group. (laughs) Thank goodness we didn't have social media, right? Snake handling at second. You can see it. But after after everything uh, had you know, finish and we had the Bible study in the youth group and all that, Ed brought out the snake and we thought it would be a great time at church to feed the snake. And you know what snakes eat, right? Besides people, they eat mice, okay, mice. So we took a little cute little white mice and put, put it in the aquarium and watch that boa constrictor do its thing, just like on the Nature Channel and eat that little mice. Took the, took the snake back home, put it back up, had it in the cowboy hat box slash aquarium for many days. And I don't know what happened. I don't know how the snake got out of the hat. Ed said that he brought it out and showed it to my parents and my dad, which I don't believe. But somehow they found it. And my dad laid down an ultimatum. Either both of you or the snake are getting out of the house because we're not going to have a snake in the house. Don't know what happened to that snake. It was given away. There's no telling where it is. But my brother Ed and I understood the message. No snakes in the house. Now, Today we're going to talk about a snake, okay? We're going to talk about a snake that's in your house, that's in your school, that's in your university, that's in your company, and this snake's been around for a long, long time. You say, what is that snake? What do I do about it? Well, when I have a problem, I want to go to an expert. Whatever problem. If I'm having a problem at home, a problem with the house, a problem, you know, whatever emotion, I want to find the medical problem. I want to find the best. I want to go to an expert. So we're going to go to an expert today. And uh, the expert snake hunter, in my opinion, was a guy by the name of Paul. 
Paul was a brilliant leader, a brilliant marketer. He mass marketed the gospel back in around 33 AD. That's why you and I are here today. Because he had the grand idea that the gospel is for everyone. But as he was spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world, he encountered many snakes. Snakes. Deceptive philosophy philosophies that sounded godly and Christian, but they really weren't. And they were slipping themselves into the culture and into the church that Paul was addressing. And here's what he does in Colossians chapter number two. Colossians two. Remember, we're in Colossians one a few weeks ago. Look at Colossians chapter two. If not, it's on the screen right there or right underneath me. Uh, Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elementary forces of this world rather than on Christ. Don't let it take you captive. Don't let deceptive, fine-sounding, appealing arguments and philosophies take you captive because they're based on a human tradition and not on Christ. So the snake that Paul was dealing with here, they did, he had to deal with in many letters and other Christian fathers who followed him had to deal with was a snake known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism basically was an attempt to merge Christianity with a type of old school New Age mysticism. And Paul had to somehow untangle that and expose this, this uh, deceptive snake-like philosophy that had seeped into the church in Colossians. Now, the snake or the deceptive philosophy that I want to talk to you about is what I addressed a few weeks ago. And that is a snake that I want to call neo Marxism, neo-Marxism. And neo-Marxism represents a clear and present danger to our church and to our country. And please, I want to be crystal clear on this. Neo-Marxism is bigger than this election. It's bigger than the Democrat and Republican Party. So today, I want us to look at where in the world did this philosophy, this deceptive philosophy come from, why is it so influential in our society today? It's not like it just popped up somewhere, you know, all of a sudden during the pandemic and then boom, here comes neo-Marxism. No, 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 no. It's been around for a long time. So buckle your seatbelt. If you didn't bring your thinking cap today, go around to the car, put on your thinking cap. We're going to cover some ground, but I think it's going to be very informative for all of us here on where this particular deception came from and what we can do about it, all right? So, let's start here. Oh, by the way, young folks, this is a chalkboard. This is a chalkboard. This is what we had in schools. So, let's just start here. We'll go 400 BC. And here we are in 2020. Right now, all the guys are thinking, wow, this is going to be a long sermon. No, it's not. No, it's not. Okay. Promise. So if we start here in 400 B.C., say from 400 B.C. 
to the 1600s, that would be known as the pre-modern era. From 1600 all the way to, let's say, 1960 would be known as the modern era, okay? And then from 1960 to 2020, someone had the great creative name to call this postmodern, which means after modern, postmodern era, okay? So in the pre-modern era, you had God or objective truth or reason or logos was the starting point. That was a given. There, there was a God, there was some type of transcendent truth, objective reality outside the cave, so to speak, and we had to figure out how to relate to God. So. If you want to put Plato right there, then you could. So then in the 1600s, it switches where God is at the center of our culture. This is the Western culture primarily to where man is now at the center and reason is the method that man can use being at the center to find objective truth and for some people will find God, okay? So this is the, the modern period. The modern period um, will be characterized by reason, um, science, logic, evidence, fact, truth. Okay, and then right here around 1960, you have our, our culture turning away from modernity, turning away from reason, science, logic, evidence, in fact, to a more postmodern society. Man is still at the center, but man cannot know and discover truth, okay? So there's no truth, according to postmoderns. Truth is relative, truth is a social construct. To quote Nietzsche, it's a mobile army of metaphors, okay? So there's no truth to be found. You can't, you can't access truth through reason and through logic and fact. You know, all you're left with is this relativism when it comes to morality, you've heard it. That may be true for you, but it's not true for me, right? that's your truth and this is my truth. Well, that's not truth. Tr truth is one thing. Truth is narrow, okay? They're conflating that with opinion. So now you have a, a postmodern era. Um, it's based upon emotions. It's based upon deconstructing and deconstructing uh, is basically like 
you know, no text have a meaning, like the Bible doesn't have a certain meaning. The Bible is biased, it's culturally biased. So is your math book, your textbook, your biology book. Uh, we're just gonna deconstruct text and make them say whatever we want to say. Reason is out the door, you know. Again, reason is a, is a tool of, of domination. And then they use language. Language to persuade people and language as a form to obtain power, okay? But that's illogical, it doesn't make sense. They're not into logic and reason. It doesn't have to make sense, okay? Language, language games to assert power. So postmodernism is important for understanding, again, the roots, this is fun, of uh, neo-Marxism. All right, I'm sure we all got that. Okay, I checked my heart rate, that was a workout, wasn't it? Does that count as a workout? Yes, does, I think it does, I think it does. So if I had to have a formula for neo-Marxism here, if I can find my chalk, there you go. You have Marxism plus post-modernism plus blank next week equals Neo, which means new, Marxism. So we've got to define Marxism quickly. Marxism is a political and economic philosophy that divides people into the bourgeois and the proletariat. You heard your kids say that's bougie. That's where it comes from, okay? It comes, it's a Marxist term. Bourgeois means the people who are rich, proletariat those who are poor, Marxism tried to create conflict between the rich and the poor, and so everybody could be the same. Let's distribute the wealth among everyone. Sounds like a great idea. It sounds wonderful. Almost sounds Christian. But it produced Stalin and the Soviet Union. Didn't work there. Let's try Mao and Communist Socialist China. Didn't work there. Let's try Castro in Cuba. You ever been to Cuba? Doesn't work there. Let's try Maduro in Venezuela. And by the way, what would clear up neo-Marxism right now? You remember, we're kind of old school today, using a chalkboard. You know, we're talking about malls with pet stores. You know what would be a cure our entire country right now of this neo-Marxism craze? Remember field trips? Getting big old yellow bus, field trips, take a field trip to Venezuela, we'd all be cured. It'd be, it'd be game over, game, set, match. Okay, a little field trip. So you have Stalin, Mao, Castro, who were Marxists. They're trying out this economic and social experience. It failed. It led to death. How many? 110 million people killed by their own government. 
I'm not even putting in that number. I'm, I'm, I'm taking out 12 million the Nazis killed in Germany during World War II. 10, 110 million. So it leads to death. And those who don't bow the knee to these leaderships and to Marxism usually leads to starvation and long lines for everything. So that's where Marxism leads. So, you know, back in the, uh, you know, early 20th century and throughout the 20th century, there's this kind of competition between Marxism and capitalism, okay? And, and so people kept betting on, man, the Marxists are gonna win, they're gonna win. A lot of professors in our universities here in Europe, man, they're Marxists, it's gonna win. Boom, they lose, 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 lose. No one likes to lose. Let's keep trying it again. Let's try it again. And they continue to lose. So most of the philosophers had no place to go. So they jumped onto the boat of postmodernism. The postmodernism thinkers, you have Michael Foucault, you have Jacques Derrida, and you have Leotard. And this has led to relativism. There are no morals. You can do what you want to do, be who you want to be, feel how you want to feel. You can construct your own reality because there really is no reality. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want because this is my truth. Okay, everything's relative. Religion's relative, ethics are relative, morality's relative. We gotta be tolerant to everybody in every lifestyle. So you have, you know, the 1960s. And this leads to the destruction of the family. Flowing out of that, we have abortion on demand, gay partnerships. More recently, we talked about last week, trans, uh, divorce, <laughs> as the nuclear family in our country in the Western world is basically blown to bits because we buy into this type of postmodern philosophy. And the thing about postmodernism is it, it, you know, really had no goal. It had no purpose until this other element was added that we'll look at next week. It had no purpose. And you know, when I talked about neo-Marxism a few weeks ago, I got all these texts from people, mostly good, not all good, but saying, hey, that was great. Man, thanks for saying that. Thanks, blah, that was so bold, blah, blah, blah. I look back at some of my manuscripts. I'm, I've been preaching the same thing for 20 years. Not, not all the time, but about once a year, once every two or three years, I would talk about relativism. I talk about postmodernism. I talk about it's a clear and present danger. But it was kind of you know, the snake was kind of hidden in the universities, hidden in academia. It would kind of, you know, poke its head out a little bit in pop culture some places, but it never was going to go mainstream. But it's gone mainstream. And again, it's a pernicious philosophy and ideology that isn't just affecting our culture, our society. It's also affecting the church and how people believe in God and what they believe about the family and what they believe about marriage and what they believe about morality. 
It's really insidious. So if you're wondering, well, how do we get to where we are now here in the United States and the Western world? This has been going on for a long, long time. A long time. So, you know, if, if this, you know, if, if modernism is based upon reason, then postmodernism is based upon non-reason. If modernism is based on you can know truth, postmodernism says there is no truth. If modernism says you need to take responsibility for your life, postmodernism says it's not your fault, you're a victim. So you have these competing worldviews that exist, that have always existed, but have really come to the forefront in our society today. So that's a little bit about where it comes from. It's just a primer on, on uh, postmodernism, but it's important to understand the philosophy that undergirds a lot of what's happening in our society today. Again, this is so much bigger than this election that's coming up. So much bigger than that. So much bigger. You know, and if you're, if you're doubting and skeptical about, you know, what I'm saying, and you're saying, well, you know, this guy's just a preacher, he's just reading the Bible. Listen, a lot of the resources I, I use on this particular talk here today have come from people who are atheists, who are part of the gay community, uh, who are part of all different parts of our society, who are clinical psychologists. So I, it's, it's going to take a large coalition of people in our country to start standing up to neo-Marxism. A lot of us are going to have to stand up. Not just people who say that they're Christians, not just the church, not just someone in a particular political party. Because again, we've seen, wow, do we really have to mis repeat the mistakes of Stalin, Mao, Castro, and Maduro? Do we really have to do that as a country and as a people? So how should we then live? Let's go back to Colossians 2. Let's see what Paul says to us. Love it. He says this, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. My life is in him. My life is in Christ. Hey, do you want to join this movement or that movement or this party, that party? No, I've already got a party. I've already got a movement. I've already got a family. I'm with the family of God, the family of Christ. That's, that's who I'm with. It's my team. Continue to live in Him, rooted and built up. How? In Him. Strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Skip down to verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to his fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I'm not going to be captured by a pernicious, deceptive philosophy. Instead, I want us to be captivated by Christ. Captivated by Christ. both spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. In the beginning was the logos, the reason. And the reason, the logos, has become a 
person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus reveals to us who God is, what God is like. And I can be thankful if I had time to turn the board around, that God has given us and given me a mind to think. I can be thankful that God has given us the ability to use logic and science to discover what's happening in external reality to make this world a better place. At the same time, I can be thankful that I have a body and passions and desires and I'm gonna yield all of myself to God and to Christ. My mind, my body, my soul, my spirit. So our starting point and our ending point, if I had another chalkboard, our starting point and our ending point is not modernity, though I think Christians feel much more at home in modernity because at least modernity believes in objective truth. That's not our starting point. Our starting point is not post-modernity, and their starting point is skepticism. There is no truth. Our starting point is God. Our starting point is Christ. That's where we start and that's where we end. Again, there are great contributions that have been made through modern thinkers, both Christian and non-Christian. Great contributions made through postmodern thinkers, Christian and non-Christian. But again, my starting point and my, my, my source for my life and for my mind and for the way I live is, is God's word and the word in Christ. So we all need to be about that. We all need to be about, as, as Paul says here, building each other up, building up our marriages, building up our families, building up our friendships in Christ. In Christ. He's our identity. He is our strength. He is the one who unifies us. He is the one that can give us wisdom and help, help us to discern how we are to walk and live in these perilous times. Do not be captivated. It's so easy. I know I've fallen prey over the years to be captivated by this little philosophy or this little ideology or this little psychological truth or this little theology and I'm captivated maybe this is it maybe this is so easy don't be captivated don't be captivated and captured instead be captivated by Christ be captivated by him and when you're captivated by him he will give you that strength to be strong and courageous. Captivated by Christ. Strong. And courageous.